Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And I'm looking forward tonight because we're going to be starting a brand new series in the book of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is an amazing book. And uh, the series that we're looking at is a series called Strong in Suffering. And uh, it's going to be a study really just about experiencing God's grace in times of suffering. I don't know if you've ever... Uh, read the book of First Peter and the books of, book of James, but two great books just about the suffering of the early believers. And uh, just to kind of give us some background tonight before we really get into the message. Uh, well, actually, before we get into the message, I just want to say thank you for the great service we had this morning. Man, what a blessing it was to uh, be back together. And even though we're still having that social distancing service, I'm so thankful for the Mother's Day we had this morning. Thankful for those of you that uh, made a, a mention of Hannah and her birthday. Day. I want to thank you for that, recognizing her. And I just want to tell you I'm thankful for our church. And uh, as we were singing uh, this morning and then even uh, just singing Worthy is the Lamb tonight, uh, I can't wait to sing with everyone in heaven. I was thinking about that, just worshiping the Lord, singing uh, glory to his name. And I hope that uh, when you think about heaven and you think about everything that's, that uh, is in store for us, I hope that you're looking forward to the singing and the time there. It's going to be a great time just worshiping the Lord. And so I'm looking forward to that. My mind kind of on that tonight and thinking about that after singing just uh, praise to the Lord. I want to encourage, if you would, uh, be praying for our church family. And let's continue to pray for, of course, the Sandvigs that were mentioned this morning. Uh, of course, Curtis going home to be with the Lord yesterday. And I want you to pray for Miss Sylvia and pray for the family and the whole situation there. And I hope that uh, during the coming days and weeks that they would be on your mind. And I know that many of you have lost a loved one, and we know what that feels like. And so uh, maybe there'd be a time for those of you that have maybe lost a loved one recently, uh, maybe reach out to Miss Sylvia. Let her know that you're praying for her, and let her know that you're uh, here for her, kind of in her corner, and wanting to help and encourage her during this time. Well, tonight, again, we're going to be in the book of First Peter. And I don't know about you, but uh, every single person goes through suffering, don't we? Um, and every one of us, whether maybe it's the death of a loved one or maybe uh, it's just a, a, a lost job or perhaps a financial struggle or even just a health crisis or health situation or even just the suffering of, of kind of uh, having a rough day. Every one of us have a rough day every now and then. And you know what? Uh, the truth is that it's, it's not a matter of uh, if we're going to suffer. It's just a matter of when. Not a matter of if we're going to face trials. It's a matter of when we face trials. Every single one of us are going to face trials. And as we come to the book of 1 Peter, that is something that Peter recognized. He knew that trials were going to come, but really I think the goal of Peter, and you can go to 1 Peter chapter number 5, is he wanted God's people to understand that even in times of struggle, even in times of suffering, you and I can experience the strengthening grace of God. Man, I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us alone during our suffering and God doesn't uh, just say, well, here's, here's salvation for you and then I'm done uh, with your life. The Lord doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I'm gonna allow suffering into your life. It's valuable, we'll use it, it'll grow you, but I'm also gonna walk with you through your suffering. I'm not going to forsake you during your suffering. I'm not going to turn the cold shoulder to you during that time of heartache and that time of trial. And that's something that Peter knew. And so, of course, the book of 1 Peter 
is written by Peter, Simon Peter, the apostle. This would be one who spent uh, nearly three and a half years, three years with Jesus, and he would spend time uh, each and every day, of course, seeing the miracles and hearing the lessons and witnessing the, uh, the betrayal and the crucifixion. Uh, he watched all of that. Of course, he was one after and, and right leading up to the crucifixion. You'll remember that he uh, rejected knowing Christ and then afterwards felt that regret and felt that uh, frustration. Um, but then Jesus rose from the dead. And you'll remember John chapter number 21 as Peter is right there on the, uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and as Jesus is there uh, cooking fish and he says to Peter, lovest thou me? And says it to him three times. And man, I've been at that spot there in Capernaum where uh, maybe this would have taken place. And what an uh, amazing thought to know the Lord just extending to Peter forgiveness and grace and, and letting him know, Peter, I'm not done with you. And uh, man, Peter would go on, of course, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and 2 record for us one of the greatest messages ever preached, and it was Peter who preached that message on the day of Pentecost. Well, Peter would become a, a leader in the early church. He would become one that, uh, of course, after the resurrection of Christ and after being uh, put back into service and that day of Pentecost and everything that God would use Peter to do, uh, Peter would become very significant in that early church and in the early believers' lives. Well, of course, we know that during that time, persecution would hit uh, Christianity like never before. Of course, we know that Jesus was persecuted and, and put upon the cross, but after that, you have Stephen, the very first martyr, giving his life uh, for the cause of Christ, Acts chapter 6 and 7. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter number 8, we're introduced to a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, the Bible says that he wreaked havoc in the churches. Well, what did he do? Man, he brought great persecution through the religious leaders. He brought great persecution along with the Roman government against Christianity. Well, because of this, we know that many of the believers in those early days faced harsh persecution. When you look at this, many believe that Peter would have actually written the letter of 1 Peter from uh, from Rome. This would maybe be the reference of referred to as Babylon towards the end of the book. But this was definitely written at a time and in a place when Peter knew about suffering. And he was writing to a people who knew about suffering. He was writing uh, to Christians who were facing probably the most challenging days that Christianity had ever seen and perhaps some of the most Christian, uh, challenging days that Christianity would ever see. You know, it's interesting. We have uh, the, ev everything that's going on right now and in our world. And uh, I read online and social media and all that, Christians saying, wow, we're, we're undergoing such persecution. I I'm not going to say something negative about all of that, but I do want to say this that the persecution or the challenges that we face, they don't even compare to what many of those first Christians faced. And yet, here's what we find. We find Peter writing to Christians who were struggling in trials, persecution, and a time of suffering. And what are they, what, what's Peter writing? Peter's writing and he's saying, hey, you can experience grace and strength even in trials.
I want you to see it with me just real quick before we even get into the series. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, the verses will not be on the screen. Uh, just something on my mind right now I want to read to us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10, here's what Peter wrote. He said, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. By Silvanus, or Silas, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. Peter's writing, he's saying, hey, God's going to allow trials. But even in those trials, even in that suffering, you can experience grace, the strengthening power of God to make you complete to establish your feet, to strengthen your heart, and to settle your mind. This, that is the grace that I'm writing to you about. That's why I've written the whole, whole book, the whole letter. And so Peter really has this mindset of understanding everyone is going to experience suffering. Everyone's going to experience trials. But even in trials, you can know the strengthening grace of God. Well, tonight... We're going to come into our first message of the whole series, and the title I've given tonight is the title, uh, What You Get is More Than What You See. What you get is more than what you see. We're going to discover what I mean by the title and the thoughts, but first, let's read our passage, let's pray, and then get into the Word of God. First Peter chapter number 1, look with me if you will, verse number 1, down through verse number 12 tonight. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations or testings or trials. Verse seven, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Whom, having not seen, ye love, or I just read that, uh, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you 
by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. When you come to these verses in 1 Peter chapter number one, the first 12 verses, Peter is kind of laying a table, laying a foundation. He's letting you know who he's writing to, verse one and two. I'm writing to those who are saved and scattered abroad. Uh, these would be the, he, he references, excuse me, references them as strangers uh, in that land. Of course, they were scattered. They didn't belong there. This would be somebody who was in a country, but not from that country. This references the fact that many of them were dispersed because of persecution, but it has a dual meaning in the book of Peter because all throughout the Peter, he refers to all Christians as strangers in the land. You know, he's trying to get across, trying to help people to lift their eyes above our circumstances. Why? Because as the old hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I live here. I live in the country. I live in the world. But this world is not my home. This is not where I'm going to end up for all of my eternal life. And so that's kind of some thoughts that Peter has. He's writing to these believers who are throughout all of those areas. You go to 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 1, you read all those areas. You can go back to Acts chapter number 2 and you discover that many of the people listed in uh, Acts chapter number 2 are listed here in 1 Peter chapter number 1. Probably, you know, 30 to 35, maybe 40 years later, uh, Peter's still writing to believers who are scattered all throughout uh, the known world. And what does he write to them? He starts by writing about this, what you get is more than what you see. What you get is more than what you see. Let's pray, and then we'll discover what we mean by that term tonight. Lord, I want to thank you for the day, and thank you for the word of God. And I'm thankful tonight, Lord, that we have opportunity I pray, Lord, I'm thankful we had an opportunity to get into the Word of God and to experience what you have for us. And Lord, I come before you tonight, and I just humble my heart, and I ask you that you would help me. God, again, I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that you'd use your Word to bring out truths tonight to help us in our trials, in our challenges, in our suffering. Lord, I pray that you'd lift our eyes to look above our circumstances. And God, I pray that tonight we would leave the service encouraged and strengthened. And Lord, we pray again that you would use this time, this series, to help us in our walk with you. We love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start tonight, you've heard the phrase probably, you've heard this, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. Many of you have maybe uh, heard that phrase, maybe if it's a reference to a person, oh, what you see is what you get, you know, and uh, somebody may be saying a good thing, well, you know, the good thing about me is what you see is what you get. I don't hold anything back, you know, or something like that, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was the first car you bought. Uh, what you saw is really what you got. Uh, I remember when I went to college, of course, my very first car when I was a teenager is a 1959 Impala, and I loved that, but I didn't take it to college. So when I went to school, I had saved up some money from my job as a, a teenager and went to college and got down to, uh, down to my, uh, that town, Oklahoma City, where we were, I was moving to to go to school. And I remember my dad flew in. We were there. We were going to, of course, had our stuff to unpack and move in the dorms. And that first weekend, while my dad was still in town, we were going to go buy a car. And, uh, of course, we went, and we started driving around different uh, locations where cars are parked in parking lots and have for sale signs. And, 
I think at that time I only had, I think I had $1,200 to buy a car. Uh, now this is, um, man, 20 years ago uh, or 19 years ago. And so I remember that $1,200, I thought, man, I'll be able to get a, a decent car for 1200 bucks. And at that time you still kind of could. Uh, but I remember we turned one corner. My dad and I saw it was a, a 19, I think a 1989 Oldsmobile. And we looked, and it had the body condition was fine, and went and took it for a little test drive, and the test drive was okay, and it, it didn't look too bad. It didn't look that bad. But I realized I went and purchased that car and got it registered in my name and started driving around that semester, and I was coaching basketball about 30 minutes away at a high school down south, and so I'd drive every day that hour, uh, return, that round trip, hour trip, and uh, back and forth, and I just remember about two months in, some things started going wrong on that car, and I remember one day there was this rainstorm, and it just kind of came up, and I had my window down, and I went to roll my window up, and the window only went up halfway, and a rainstorm in Oklahoma, it's not really a rainstorm. It's more like um, a flood uh, coming out of the sky. And so one drop drenches your whole car. And so I remember I was there driving and the water coming through felt like BBs hitting my face. And I remember I got to the, back to the school and put plastic over. Of course, the inside of my car is drenched and came out the next day and there was uh, flooding in the floorboards of my car. And come to find out, long story short, that car was a piece of work. And what I saw uh, you know, I saw kind of a beat-down junker car. That's exactly what I got. But tonight, what we're looking at is this truth, that what we get is more than what we see. Well, Pastor, what are you talking about? As Peter opens up, he begins to highlight some of the incredible blessings of salvation. The incredible blessings of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and The thought tonight is simply this. When many people trust Christ as Savior, they think, oh, I'm getting a a ticket out of hell. I'm getting heaven as eternal life. I'm getting forgiveness for my sins. I'm getting relationship with God. And all of those things are true. But when you first got saved, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, that very first moment, that, that time when it was presented, I'm going to present to you tonight the fact that what you got in salvation was more than what you saw at first. It was more than just forgiveness. It was more than just eternal life in heaven. It was more than just a relationship with God. And that's what Peter highlights tonight. And so we're going to get into this study and look at this thought and understand that with salvation, what we get is more than what we see. The reason Peter brings attention to this is because if we can look at our suffering through the lens of salvation, it helps us understand it, grow in it, and see it for a far more greater thing than we do when we just view it through the lens of our perspective. I want you to notice with me tonight what Peter's talking about, some of the blessings, the great things that Peter says come into our life at salvation. Notice, number one tonight, that when we get saved, salvation brings me a reservation. 
Salvation gives me a reservation. I want you to notice with me tonight, verse one and verse number two, before we kind of get to this thought. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered abroad, and we go through there. And then he says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Peter, he opens up this letter by drawing attention to the common salvation they have. He's saying, hey, I want to write to you about something that we have in common. We have all been made right by the blood of Christ. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. And you are, you and I, we are on the same playing field because of the cross. And that's kind of a good thought because I want you to understand Peter's trying to establish again this foundation to say, hey, no one experiences a greater amount of suffering. No one experiences a greater amount of salvation. It's all level. And salvation is so much more for you and I than what we see at the very first. We have salvation because of Jesus Christ. He's merciful. He's offered us salvation. And right off the bat, Peter's drawing attention to the value that the believer has in the Lord. You see, if you look at this, he says right at the beginning, or at verse number two, he says, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. In all of this, he's just drawing attention to the fact that you and I, because of our salvation, since you're saved, you can know that you are worth something to God. Someone once said, and read it just recently, something is worth what someone will pay for it. Something is worth what someone will pay for it. Well, you are worth the life of Jesus because that's what he paid for you. So when you got saved, when you trusted Christ, when Jesus was on the cross, the song says, when Jesus was on the cross and you and I were on his mind, man, that's telling us that we are worth something to him. All right, that's going to help me during a time of suffering. Why? Because I'm going to know that I am worth something to him. But I want you to notice this reservation we're talking about. Go to verse number three. Here's what Peter says. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, we've been born again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away says this, who are kept or, and, and reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When you look at this, the end of verse number three right there, Peter, or verse, uh, excuse me, verse number four, says that you're, you are born to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, that is reserved in heaven for you. I tell you tonight that when someone trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they, because of the mercy of God, have a great reservation made. Well, what, what's our reservation? Well, we've been reserved. We've been given a spot in heaven. But in this life, we've been given a living hope. Do you see that in verse number three when Peter says this? He says that we are, hath begotten us unto a lively a lively hope is a living expectation. Because of the resurrection, we can have, the word hope means an earnest expectation. It's not a, well, I hope it's gonna happen. It's a, I know it's gonna happen. We have living hope. No longer is it a dead hope, but we have a, a, a living hope, something that's alive because of Jesus Christ. Since Christ is alive, my hope is in him. That means my hope is alive. And the follower of Jesus Christ doesn't have a false hope, 
We have a living hope. We're not trusting in something that perhaps is a maybe. We're trusting in something that is definite. Why? Because Jesus is alive. We are born again into a living hope. And since it has life, it grows. Everything with life grows and becomes greater and more beautiful as time goes on. You see, usually time destroys hope, but not for a Christian. For a Christian, for the follower of God, the passing time only increases the hope that we have. It makes that hope much more glorious. It is a living hope. Why? Because it's an expectation that is found in the person and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, hey, listen, you are born with a living hope, but more than that, you are born again into a life with a great reservation. Well, what's the reservation? Look at verse number four. You are born again to an, an inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you, a great inheritance. Well, what is he talking about? Well, I think just talking about the glory of heaven. Every, kind of an all-inclusive statement. Hey, you have no idea, as Paul wrote, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither, have, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has laid up for them uh, who know him for the child of God. And you and I can understand today that we have a great reservation, not just eternal life in heaven. No, there is so much more in heaven to look forward to. Notice what Peter says. He says that when you uh, uh, were born again, you were given this inheritance. It's unlike any earthly inheritance. Why? Because it's incorruptible. The word incorruptible, it means nothing can ruin it. It means it doesn't, it's never going to be corrupted. It's never going to expire. I remember a few weeks ago, I went to the, uh, the refrigerator here at the church to get some creamer for my coffee, and I opened the door, and I got inside there, and I pulled out some creamer, and I poured that creamer in my coffee, and you know what that creamer came out as? It came out as kind of like sludge. And I looked, and sure enough, it had expired. Man, it was corruptible. Here's what Peter is saying to you and I about our inheritance. Hey, there's no expiration date. There's no shelf life. It's never going to become sludge. It's never going rotten. It is incorruptible. Notice what else he says about it. He says it is undefiled. The word undefiled means it can't be stained or cheapened in any way. It cannot erode. It, it cannot be made impure. It is perfect. You, when you were born again, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, boy, you got so much more than just eternal life in heaven. No, you got a great reservation for a living hope and for an inheritance that is incorruptible, that is undefiled. And then he says, and it fadeth not away. It never ages. It's never going to grow old. Why? Because it's eternal. It's never going to wear out. It's not going to disappoint you. But I want you to also think about this fact that when you and I get to heaven, there's not going to be an expiration date in heaven. And that's a great thought for us tonight. Why? Because the suffering of this earth, though it may be for a little while, man, I have a great reservation. I have heaven to look forward to. Not just eternal life, but I have the presence of God, and I have the presence of Jesus Christ, and I have the presence of the believers that have gone on before me, and I have all of the inheritance, all-inclusive, uh, wonderful package that is wrapped up for me in this thing called eternal life in heaven. There's so much more to it than you and I could ever imagine. But Peter doesn't stop there. Notice verse number five. He says, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are kept by the power of God. You know, Peter is saying, hey, listen, when you trusted Christ as Savior, hey, it was by the blood of Jesus and you got something reserved for you. What'd you get? You were reserved a living hope. Man, you have hope for today and tomorrow and next week and next month. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you also have a reservation for an inheritance. It is an incorruptible and undefiled inheritance that fades not away. Oh, and by the way, It is all kept or safeguarded by the power of God. There is nothing that you and I can do. There is nothing that anybody else can do that could ever separate us. I think of one of my favorite passages in all the word of God, Romans chapter 8, that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Paul asks a question before that. He says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Hey, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because we are kept by the power of God. You see, when you trusted Christ as Savior, you got so much more. I got so much more than just eternal life in heaven. No, I was born again to a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus, an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that is held in the hand of God. My friend, if that doesn't get you excited a little bit, then I don't know what will because I want to tell you today and tonight the truth that Jesus loved you enough to give his life and say, you are valuable. And when you put your faith and your trust in me, I will hold you and nothing, nothing will separate you. Man, that's exciting. That is a reservation that I want. Many of you have traveled before. You call somewhere and you make a, a reservation and they say, okay, included in your reservation. Our hotel has a, a swimming pool or our hotel has a, a, a workout area. We have a complimentary breakfast. You know what? When you, make, when you receive Jesus Christ, you were made a, given a reservation for a living hope, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, and all of it is held in the power of God. Now, what an exciting thought tonight. Now, that is an encouragement for a time of suffering. Why would Peter write this? Remember, he's writing to people who are experiencing suffering of the, of the, which we, of the likes we have never seen and, and may never see. And yet Peter writes to them, hey, I just want to write to you about the great thing called salvation. You're given an amazing, miraculous reservation. You have a living hope and all of those things we just said. That's an encouragement during a time of suffering. Man, I'm so thankful to know that heaven is my home, but I'm so thankful to know that it is all kept by the power of God. And there's an inheritance that I don't even understand that's waiting for me up there. But right now, my reservation is with a living hope. Every day, I can approach it with a living, earnest expectation. Man, what an amazing truth. What a truth tonight, encouragement during time of suffering But I want you to see also tonight, salvation not only brings me a reservation, but notice with me that salvation, it brings me a rejoicing. Salvation brings me a rejoicing. Look with me at verse number six. It says this, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, 
you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you go back to verse number six, he says, wherein, wherein you greatly rejoice. He's saying, hey, all of this salvation that I just got done, you can find great joy in it. Wherein, this is a great thing to rejoice in. Well, why can I rejoice? That word rejoice, it means to jump with exceeding joy. He's saying, hey, the reality of salvation, what you have in salvation is a cause for great rejoicing. Well, why? Well, we can rejoice in our future. What do you mean? If you look at verse number six, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. He's saying, hey, we go through suffering, but it's just for a season. Man, this life is not the end. We know that there is more to life than life itself, and we have a great future awaiting us. And in this life, we can also know that uh, this, this life is a season, but in life, suffering comes in seasons. Suffering comes in seasons. There's times in our life, and the child of God needs to understand that this is really a time when we face light affliction. That's what Paul said, isn't it? First, uh, Second Corinthians chapter four, verse seventeen and eighteen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal; the things which are not seen are eternal. You know, Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, he's saying, "Hey, this is a light affliction." Lift your eyes above the suffering to see that there is more taking place than what meets the eye. That's what Peter's saying in, in 1 Peter. What you got is more than what you see. You got a reservation that's held by the hands of God that fades not away, that's incorruptible and undefiled. And uh, you got a reservation, an inheritance that brings you a living hope. But you also were given a great rejoicing when you got saved. When you trusted Jesus as Savior, man, you have a joy in your life that is a joy that's unspeakable and, and full of glory. We can rejoice in our future. Why? We know that it's suffering is only for a season. But we can also rejoice because we can rejoice in our circumstances. Notice verse number seven says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what? We can now rejoice because as a Christian, when we look at the trial of our faith, our trials, the, the child of God can see beyond the trials. We can see there's more taking place, as I said a moment ago, there's more to this than meets the eye. We see that our faith is being challenged. And when our faith is challenged, our faith is strengthened. As a child of God, you and I can know that when we go through trials, it is increasing and strengthening our faith. And one man said it this way, God is way more interested in our faith than our circumstances. He's working to purify our faith, to grow our faith, to deepen our faith. And God will use our circumstances to help our faith, but then he'll use our faith to help us through circumstances. You see, it's cyclical. God says, hey, I'm going to put you in a trial, 
and grow your faith. And then the next trial that you come to, that faith will help you grow through the next trial. Trials reveal the strength of our faith. Trials help us invest our faith. Did you notice a few little thoughts here? And we'll just kind of summarize a couple things and move on. But Paul or Peter also says we rejoice because the love that holds our relationship with the Lord. And even though we don't see him, we still have that joy. But notice when he says, whom having not seen. That's not an including statement. He's not including himself because he had seen Jesus. But he's saying, hey, you haven't seen him. And yet you still have a great love for him and a great joy. That's something that only comes with relationship. Verse number nine, receiving the end of our faith, even the salvation of your souls. Man, we're looking to and have already received the end of our salvation. We already know what's in store for us. We have eyes that look to heaven. But I want you to see one last reason of why salvation brings rejoicing, and that's in this, that we can rejoice that trials are valuable. Trials are valuable. Notice verse number six, three simple words. The words, if need be. If need be. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation, manifold trials. For the child of God, we need to know that sometimes trials are necessary. God said that. That trials are necessary, if need be, that I allow trials in your life. Heaviness and sorrow, suffering, trials, they are allowed in our life to meet specific needs within our life. Our friend, Pastor Skelly, he's been doing a recent devotion in First Peter. I just noticed it a few days ago and knew that he was doing it, but didn't pay much attention to it until I'm studying for our series in First Peter. And, oh, hey, here's this devotion. I went back and listened to something he said. And, and this is what Pastor Skelly said, and I just thought it was too good to pass over. He said this, that trials meet needs. Well, like what? Well, we need to see God more clearly. And when a child of God goes through trials, we see God more clearly. We need to be less distracted of, from this life and have a more focused heart on him. And when a child of God goes through trials, what do we do? We focus our heart in, upon him. We need humility. Trials, they humble us. We need to know that God is at work in my life and trials help me to understand that he is in control and that he is working in my life. We need to glorify God and trials help us to glorify God. You see, sometimes trials are of a necessity. My dad grew up in Riverside, California and there's a church there that now a friend from college pastors and he just went through, uh, he went through, got got corona, COVID-19, and, and went through a great trial with that. His name is Pastor Christian Torres, and he said this recently. He said, in terms of degrees of teaching, suffering has a PhD, while comfort only graduated elementary. I learn more about how God loves me in suffering than when I am in comfort. Man, what a thought. What a thought. We learn more in trials than we do in times of comfort. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like that. Oh, I love the quote. 
I don't like the truth. Here's why, because we don't enjoy trials. But here's what Peter's saying. When you got saved, salvation brought you more than what you thought. It brought you a great reservation in heaven, and it brings you a great rejoicing. Man, you and I, we can rejoice in so much more. Even in trials, we can rejoice. Why? Because trials are valuable. Why? Because I can see past them and know that this is circumstantial. God has allowed this for a purpose. Trials, we can rejoice in them. I want you to see tonight, salvation brings me a reservation. Salvation brings me a rejoicing. But lastly tonight and very quickly, salvation brings me a craved for reality. I want you to look at this and understand tonight these verses. They're very, very rich. Very rich, these few verses we're about to read. Notice them with me. First Peter 1, 10 through 12. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which, it, which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed and that, that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Listen, we don't have much time, and I, I apologize if I've gone over today, but when you look at these verses, here's what Peter's saying. The prophets, verse 10, they could only dream about salvation. Oh, they were saved by faith, but they were prophetically looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward and prophesying about a relationship with God that they didn't understand. They were looking forward and they were saying, oh, man, someday I see uh, God's, God's revealed it to me that some things are going to take place. But they were saying some things that they could not understand. It was a message that they had passed down and then the apostles, they preached it. The, the apostles preached what the prophets had prophesied, the message of Jesus. And so when you look at this passage, here's the thought that the prophets looked forward to what you and I are living in as a reality. Salvation, uh, uh, that relationship with Jesus Christ, that relationship with God through Jesus was something that those prophets could only look at and imagine and think about and dream about. They would have loved to know what you and I know. They would have loved to experience salvation like you and I experience. It was a, a prophecy to them, a mystery to them but it's a reality to us. And also, the last thought in verse number 12, salvation is a reality to us, and it's something the angels wish they had. Look at it. The last part of verse number 12, which things the angels desire to look into. Yeah, think about that. When you were a kid, you heard about angels. Uh, did you ever think, oh, it'd be so cool to be an angel? Man, it'd be so cool to be an angel. And, uh, you know, man, I'm gonna, I would zap myself one place to another. I would fly one place to another. We have all these thoughts about an angel. Here's what the angels do. They look into your life and they say, man, how amazing it would be to be a Christian. How amazing it would be to know the love of God like they know it. Angels look at our lives and they desire to know the reality that we know. Hey, think about that. Angels, they announce salvation. They get to rejoice in salvation. They get to serve as protectors to those who have salvation, and yet they don't experience salvation. 
angels are watching us. And they're desiring to understand what the reality is for the believer. They want to know what it's like to have God love them like you and I have. They want to know what it's like to have Jesus die for them like you and I have had. You see, salvation is so much more than what we saw. Because salvation, it is our reality. It is something the prophets dreamed of. It's something the angels desire to look into. But we have the wonderful reality of truly being safe. Wow. I don't know about you tonight, but when I look at this beginning portion of the passage, of the series, man, I can't help but think that Peter is trying to lay some groundwork to say, listen, you're saved. You are going through suffering. You are going through some challenging times. You are going through trials. But when you got saved, you got so much more than what you saw. And when we received Christ as our Savior, we got more than what we saw. I want to bring us back tonight to that simple thought and tell you this truth. That when you got saved, you were given a great reservation, a great reason to rejoice, an amazing reality that the angels only wish and prophets wish that they could have seen. But the question I want to give to us tonight is, have you been taking that for granted? Have you been looking at it and just thinking, well, yeah, I know I'm saved, but why is this happening to me? Yeah, well, I know I'm saved, but this. We can so often take our salvation for granted. Let's not allow the devil to tell us that God saved us but doesn't care about us. You see, when there's suffering in our life, we can throw up our arms and think, God, do you even see what's going on? God, do you even know? And here's Peter laying it out for people who are experiencing suffering in in a way that we may never will, we we never may, may experience. Here's Peter saying to them, hey, look past your suffering. Look at your suffering, actually, through the lens of your salvation. There's a great reservation. He died for you, gives you a living hope, a reserved inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away. He's given you a rejoicing. You can rejoice in your future. Yeah, you have a home in heaven, but you can rejoice in your circumstances right now. Why? Because you know that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, it's going to be found in a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Man, God is working behind the scenes in this. But then also you can know that my trials, I can rejoice. Why? Because they have value. They might be necessary in my life. But then tonight, the last thought, our salvation's a reality. So I want to tell you tonight that trials, they're a part of everyone's journey. But I want to encourage you, in our trials, in our circumstances, whether big or small, Let's look at them through the lens of salvation. Let's tonight understand that when I got saved, I got so much more than what I thought. So I want to say tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is so much more to salvation than the here and now. Look past your situation and see your loving Savior who has given you more than you could imagine. Rejoice in the reality that you are a child of God. And even though trials come, they are valuable and they're only for a season. Thank you so much for listening to this message. 
If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.